the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working through that is powerful, and where that's absent, how can that church be effective and really take root? Welcome to the Essentially Translatable Podcast, brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. My name is Rich Verdowski. I'm the Chief Operating Officer here at LBT. Today's episode is a crossover episode with a program called For You Radio. It's a program and podcast hosted by Craig D'Onofrio and Troy Newyear. I got the chance to be on the program and be on the other side of the microphone as they interviewed me about missions, Bible translation, and the work of Lutheran Bible Translators. For You Radio airs weekly in the Cleveland market on several stations and is part of the 1517 Network. You can find their podcast and many other resources at 1517.org. We hope you enjoy this little change of pace on the Essentially Translatable podcast as we cross over with For You Radio. You're listening to For You Radio, where the gospel's for the unbeliever and the believer alike. I'm Craig D'Onofrio, pastor of St. James Lutheran Church in Cleveland, Ohio. Dang it. <laughs> I was trying not to look at you. I'm Pastor Troy Neer, St. Peter's Lutheran Church, Shaker Heights, Ohio. And I can at least say that without sounding really odd and trying to throw me off. Oh, that's good. I, hope, I hope anyone else that listens ever finds this amusing. I, I know you do. Here. Okay. Rich, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Rich Radowski. The Am I supposed to tell all about who I am? Yes. Okay, okay. Well, you're our, you're okay. our third <laughs> microphone guest today. So yes, yes indeed. You could have said that. All right. I am Rich Radowski. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Lutheran Bible Translators. LBT. 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 Right. He's the COO of LBT. Right. It, yeah. it's, it gets confusing really fast. You know, I, and and I actually, I, you know, what, yeah, he didn't say much here, but he's the not only the COO, but he's got uh, six years on the ground field experience translating the scriptures into a language that had not yet been written. Now that's impressive. That is impressive. That's, oh, that's and I think impressive. showbiz rules also mandates that I say, and he's uh, been one of my closest, closest friends for over twenty years. Now, now you've just alienated all the listeners and me. Oh, because okay. you two obviously are very close. Oh, I and, apologize. Yeah. Uh, Troy, if people wanted to find For You Radio on the internet or send us an email or any of that good stuff, what would they do? Where would they go? Well, all the normal places. You got foryouradio.org. Uh, you can email us at foryouradio at 1517.org. Uh, the, the Twitter machine, right? That's still up and running? Yes. That's still, that's still a thing with the kids? They tweet? I believe so. Okay. So you can find us at at 4U Radio, followed by the number one, and uh, Facebook. I think you just search for 4U Radio. I don't know that do, we have Do we have special. an Instagram? We need an Instagram. Yeah. You know what? I was thinking about that. So if, find us on Instagram and tell us where that is. Tell, tell us if we have one. <laughs> yeah, tell us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump right into it, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. Rich, tell us a little bit about LBT, what it is that you guys do, and and how long you've been doing it for, not you necessarily, but LBT in general, and uh, all that information, where to find them on the internet and everything else. Sounds good. Lutheran Bible Translators started back in 1964. There was a missionary who had... uh, been working in Nigeria, a member of his family, his youngest daughter got sick and, and died. And um, so he came back to the U.S. 
uh, was recalled by uh, it was Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Mission, and just kind of dedicated to uh, his youngest daughter Mary Jane was her name to her memory. Wanted to be sure that uh, folks could engage in mission and the kind of mission that he was doing, this linguistic Bible translation work. So he and some pastors out in California got together, and long story short, they formed Lutheran Bible Translators back in 1964. And for the first 50 years or so, the organization's main purpose was to recruit, train, and send Western missionaries to work in Bible translation. There are thousands of languages around the world with uh, no access to scripture in a language they understand. And a lot of those places were in really remote areas and um, without a lot of development and so forth. And so missionaries were sent. And uh, over the years, over that uh, time, the church has grown in many of those places. And uh, uh, like a second generation of that leadership has really recognized that um, there's a need for Bible translation further for their, their own evangelism and outreach goals. And so we're sort of shifting, still working with missionaries, but also working directly with church partners in Bible translation work. And so that's a little bit about who we are. On the internet, we're at uh, www.lbt.org, and uh, you can find out more about us there. What, what languages are you working on currently in the way of translation? Uh, we work in 92 different languages wow. right now, yeah. Um, and so there's over 7,000 languages in the world, and I bet if I read through even some of the 92 languages, there would not be any that you'd recognize. I mean, these are really small. Well, they're small comparatively. So I worked in a language called Shikalahari, and there's uh, 250,000 people who speak that language. So in the scope of world languages, that's not a lot of people, but if you say... Hey, we have the opportunity to spread the gospel to 250,000 people. I think if I offered that to any one of you, you'd, you'd jump all over that. So, you know. Yes. Yeah. We, we have at least 12 listeners to this program. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And counting. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. how does someone get involved with LBT and, and what's the process? A, where do you find the new languages that need the Bible translated into that language? And how how does someone begin translating that, and how do you get them plugged in, and how how does all that work? Yeah, the um, world kind of community of Bible translation organizations right now, there's uh, several organizations around the world that work in Bible translation, and in the past five years particularly, we've really worked hard to coordinate and systematize what do we know about language situations in the world and these 7,000 languages, who's working in them, what's been done, what needs to be done. And uh, for us in LBT, our niche in that is to discover where Lutheran churches particularly are growing stronger and have a vision for mission and outreach. And uh, we're connecting with them then to uh, determine where are the folks that you want to reach out to. And then we come alongside and give some technical advice and, and expertise. So once a language community has been developed or been identified, I mean, we'll work with them to determine the state of is the is the language written or not written that will determine how things go in terms of production developing a writing system or whether there's not going to be a writing system and there's just going to be a lot of uh, oral recording work and so forth mm. done and there's as many answers as there is to the question i mean the 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 people who get involved in the translation will likely come from the community. It could be that the church and the local community will have the expertise to provide a lot of the workers too, and they have the right education level for that to work well. Uh, in other cases, we will provide training or even one of our missionaries go, and we have uh, 55 people right now, 55 American and Canadian missionaries around the world working in, in uh, places like this. Now, I, I know that when we've talked before that uh, a lot of the people you're working with are 
multilingual, right? I mean, yeah. they, they speak in different languages. Yeah. And so very often there is some form of Bible translation available to them, right? It might be, I don't know what the equivalent in English would be. I mean... Uh, yeah, but, so folks will generally have to know a larger language of wider communication or a national language. So it, like in where we worked... Uh, there's a language called Setswana that most people in Botswana knew that had a, a Bible translation. And then folks that or were really working in uh, at a higher level will also know English. So, um, th- and those are where some of the connection points right. happen is in those, at those levels. But the, the distinction being, and is that you're working to bring the scriptures into the language of their homes, into their, uh, their heart language, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is this is kind of a difficult concept, I guess, for us who are really monolingual, because for us, that language is the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. The same thing I'm talking at home to my kids, except for maybe a lack of formality or something like that, is the same thing I go out and speak when I go to the shops. It's the same thing I speak when I'm in church or that I hear when I'm in church. But for a lot of folks around the world, that's not the case. The way you're talking at home, the easiest and most comfortable uh, way that you know to speak um, is, is one thing. And when you step out the door of your house, that's something else. And it's a lay, it's a, a level removed from how comfortable you are and that how deeply you understand. And then certainly when you get to those trade languages, it's pretty, pretty distant. I have a good friend who's in South Africa. He's South African. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said that there's, I can't remember how many official languages in South Africa, but it's six or more. I can't even remember. And it's interesting that even though there are common languages, English being one of them, uh, I get the impression that people aren't necessarily fluent in all the languages. So if you handed someone an English Bible or an Afrikaans Bible yeah. and their native tongue is Swahili, they might be hard-pressed to actually be able to understand it fully. Yeah, I think that gets to the purpose of what is it that the Scripture and the written Scripture particularly is for in the life of the believer and in the church. And so you can get to somebody who has a a fairly basic comprehension, and not even fairly basic, I'm sure they're quite fluent and and able to speak the second or third language. The Bible goes into deep things, and it has a lot of complicated uh, ways of talking about things for many reasons. And to to really drive down to the heart of what that is. The scripture is is designed to go to the heart, to remove as many barriers as possible, I guess, is, is what we see our mission in Lutheran Bible translators to do, to remove barriers to the gospel, particularly where those barriers are the lack of ability to understand what's in the scripture. There's a college professor in the, the language I work in who he teaches in English, teaches in Swana, and he knows the Bible, very active believer, but uh, he was reviewing uh, some of the book of Revelation in the Shikalahari language I was working in, and he was just floored by how vivid the picture became to him of, of uh, the glory of God in some of those scenes in Revelation mm. that he'd heard before, he'd read before, but it just didn't connect the same way. That's amazing. So how do you go about identifying a language that needs the Bible Translator, how do, how do you go about making the decision, hey, here's here's a group of people, they don't have the word in their language, and we're going to give it to them. How, what's the process like on that, and how does someone get sent to do the work? So we place a lot of value in what our church partners are telling us. Um, we have done. We have attempted to work in these areas, and um, there is a language barrier here. So we hear that information. 
we do look and see what do we know from other sources from the Bible agency world? What can we see that's been on file that people have done? We have what would be really boring for your listeners, but these these metrics and this whole <laughs> checklist of things that we look at to determine is this a good fit for us to get to work in? What are some of the values are are the importance of to the Lutheran Church, the Lutheran Church presence, our ability to deploy people there? Um, all those things are looked at, and uh, in a generally a process that can take you know, two or three years at best to determine, yeah, this looks like a place. Then if it's going to require a missionary to be sent, we're waiting for those recruits to come. And that can still be a couple of years yet for that recruitment process, that onboarding process. And I don't know how deep you want me to go on this, but I mean, if it is a missionary, then we train. And, uh, you know, Mike, our executive director will always say, no matter what your level of education is, we're kind of like Navy SEALs for missionaries. So it's not enough. And we need to train you more, more in (laughs) linguistics. And we're going to send you to the kind of the ends of the earth to do this kind of work. So, But really two or three years just to decide if that is going to be a viable mission opportunity for you. Often by the, when we're first hearing about it, yes. And I think... I would love for that to be faster, but it's just the the ongoing conversation back and forth and, and identifying, yeah, does this look like a good fit? Are the resources available? So I think we could decide like pretty quickly. I've often heard something and said, yeah, like the first time I hear about it, this looks like something we want to do. But the, the runway for that is can be a good two or three years before we say, yes, this fits into our, our project inventory. Wow. Wow. Yeah. One of the things that I appreciate about the way that we're doing missions now is not like the way that we did it a hundred years ago, where you send a white man to Africa or South America or somewhere like that. And then he's there and then he dies and the mission kind of dries up. And, but now we've actually used our brains a little bit and we've decided, Hey, you know what? If we raise up pastors from the indigenous people, there comes a time where we can take our hands off and walk away and they're uh, running church. In Bible translating, it seems like this is kind of one of those frontline situations, though, that you need the Word of God in the language to raise people up to take over. Yeah, I think it's it's it can be recursive. So in some places, the church is already there, but but saying you know just something is missing or it's not we're not connecting with folks and it's not very deep and and we say well let's talk about scripture now in uh, ethiopia for example on the other hand the church there is saying um, we need bible translations in all of these outlying languages because that's proven for them over the course of of several decades to be key in their expansion and so we've worked with them to start in their seminary a training program that leads to ordination for these candidates who also uh, are trained in bible translation so they can be sent to work in bible translation as coordinators like what we used to send missionaries to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can be pastors. They'll probably be both. And uh, even the, the the church there has a mission sending arm and they might get sent to another country from Ethiopia in mission work. So just even taking another step back and saying, how do you empower where the Lord is at work? How do you get behind that and align with that to keep engaging in mission more effectively? Yeah, so you are really, in your career, you've straddled like two separate missionary worlds. Yeah. I mean, you've done the traditional uh, way out deep in the in the bush, as it were, yep. sort of missionary work, but you're also doing this very modern sort of missionary work where you're p- working with partner uh, churches around the world. That, that's just got to be really neat to see that transition happen, doesn't, isn't it? Yeah, it, in a way, in many ways, it was happening as I arrived there. So it's been the life I've, I've lived, and then I just, you know, 
sort of got promoted to have to do it for everybody. But I mean, it was it was the way we worked from the beginning where I was at that uh, the Lutheran Church there in Botswana provided uh, one of their deaconesses to work in the translation project. And we worked through the Bible Society to hire somebody else that so from the beginning, it was very locally led. A local committee made all the decisions about who would get hired and what to translate first and what the products would look like and all that stuff. And uh, so I was very advisory from the beginning, which I think is where where Western missionaries are still involved. And what I ask for our missionaries to do is is to really work at that sort of level. Um, if if we've been invited to be there, we're advisory and we're really wanting the local decision making to happen and for us to to give that time to develop and to foster that. What are some of the stories from the mission field that you're hearing about right now, or some of your own also that uh, have been really amazing to you? I mean, I know that. There has to be, with your time in the field, some really, really amazing things that have happened. Yeah, Bible translation has a really long, if the long way, the runway to get it started is long, then the process itself is also long. So we lived there for uh, close to six years. And the product that resulted, if you look at it from that perspective, was the Gospel of Luke being translated, the 24 chapters of the Gospel of Luke. That was what we accomplished in six years. But of course, the foundation building and things ahead of that were important. And so for me, the best memories and the the fruits of, of missionary service really had a lot to do with being present with folks. And that was how they would talk about it too, that we lived among them, worked among them. And when the village uh, was out of water, we were out of water or we shared our water with them. We ate the same food as them. But we have some really great stories, too, of just folks that were Christian. And, and by and large, uh, Botswana identifies, people from Botswana identify themselves as Christian. But uh, lots of stories about folks that really came to grasp what it means to put all your eggs in that basket and to to uh, count on Christ being Supreme, the one deaconess that we that uh, was part of the project, she, for quite a while, had been pressured by her family where she didn't have a placement when she graduated from seminary. She'd been pe- pressured by her family to go to the traditional doctors and have them do their thing to try to make something happen for her. That was just what you do, you know, because you know when they sent her away, that was a sacrifice on the part of the family, and she's not. Anyway, she waited and she ended up working for us, and that turned out to be you know, income-wise better than anything she could have been doing. It was her testimony to her family that when we wait for the Lord, this is what I've learned in seminary, if we wait for the Lord, he'll give us more than we can imagine. So, so. she was local. She, she was. Yeah. She wasn't from the States. Correct, yeah. See, once again, raising people up from yeah. from amongst the indigenous people. But you worked, it, sound like, it sounds like you worked with a church that was already established there. Well, the the Lutheran Church is established in Botswana and uh, out in the village we were at, it was there. And, and again, the the folks really identify as Christian. In this little village of five thousand people, there were forty two different Christian churches wow. registered. Top, you know, so all the denominations had their church, and then anybody that got mad at their cousin also had their church. And what was missing? And <laughs> the chief of the village we were in was really he was on the committee for the translation, and he said his reason for being involved was. Um, our people are so fractured and divided uh, for lots of reasons, but one of them is also the Christianity, the way it's been brought to us, and we need to know the truth of the Word of God so we can unite around that. And that's something that uh, you know always resonated with me um, 
in missiological reading, there's a guy named Kwame Bediako, who's a missiologist in Ghana, and he would say, no people group should be considered reached until they have the scriptures available in their mother tongue as the foundation for sus- building sustainable Christian thought life and community. So it really spoke to me about what are we trying to do when, in what we call mission service or evangelism? Mm. What, what is it we're actually trying to accomplish? Just a one-time thing is, hey, I told you about Jesus, and you said, yeah, I believe that, and I baptized you, and then what? I mean, the building of the church is, right. is the point of mission, and how can the church really be built on solid ground and grow and perpetuate itself without the Scripture available for people to as the foundation for building the thought that well, it, goes You really that. touched on something that's really close to my heart on this, too, uh, just that all the different things that we do and uh, and act out on the world stage that we name as being mission, and, and yet there's this one overarching need, and, and that's the scriptures. Yeah. So can can we uh, maybe talk for just a few minutes about why the scriptures are so important? Why is the word of God such a foundational thing to all mission? Well, it's it's the means by which God has promised He will act, and you know the the word of God is living and powerful and active. And um, I think that where the Word of God is not present um, and people are working from a second or third language or from whatever they have sort of decided to be the authority, there's nothing that binds that church together, just even from a practical perspective of where people can be united toward around a goal. I mean, you could think of that secularly, but then if you think of that spiritually, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working through that is powerful, and where that's absent— you know, how can that church be effective and and really take root? I guess with God, all things are possible, but he's told us that the word of God is the way that that's going to happen. And you can see when Paul's talking about what he's going to do in uh, for in the, the term he uses as evangelism in, in the Greek, um, it has to do with proclaiming the gospel. It also has to do with leaving people behind and those people build up the church, they have the public reading of Scripture, like he says to Timothy. Um, all of those things, the Scripture there is a, is a powerful tool that's to be used. It seems, seems like if you have all these churches, but you don't have the Bible in the language of the people, that it's just ripe for corruption right. and abuse and all sorts of things. I think about, uh, of course, Thomas Aquinas putting uh, the Bible in the vernacular, the Latin back yeah. then, the Vulgate, the vulgar language, right? The common right. language. Aquinas did that. Was the, As Jerome. Jerome. Sorry. Okay. I said Aquinas. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm on four hours of sleep. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm just sitting okay. here like, yeah. And then Aquinas. when Martin Luther put it in English <laughs> yeah. and Wycliffe put it in German. Right. And, uh, <laughs> Wait, Luther did that? What? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Luther did everything. But, but yeah, we'll move, we'll move forward. Thank you. <laughs> now I'm a complete idiot. Uh, never, you know, but, but Wycliffe sometime later puts it in English, Luther does it in German. And of yeah. course, it sets the church on fire because people didn't know Latin like they used to back right. in the day. And of course, the church was full of abuse because no one could hold up the Bible and say, but pastor, right. you know, this says here. So when you run into a situation like where you were, did you see a lot of this kind of abuse or not even intentional, but just misunderstanding? Yeah, misunderstanding for sure. And, and, um, and taking some of the whatever I think a text says and applying it here. I mean, the first the first engagement we had with the community, uh, in conjunction with the the committee, was to notice where's this 
at funerals, people gather together publicly all the time and somebody or anybody can pick up a Bible and say whatever they want and say what, and read whatever they want and say whatever they want. So the first thing our project did was to produce a book of texts appropriate to be read at scriptures with some basic commentary on why. And that was our first real widespread foray into the community was for that reason is, is uh, let's think about what's what's appropriate to read at this time instead of just pulling something out of thin air. Well, it, it really strikes me as being the way that Christ comes to us. I mean, yep. in his incarnation, he enters into our lives. Right. He becomes one of us. And, and the work you're doing with Bible translation has that same sort of flavor to it, that it's the word coming into the lives, the homes, the, the hearth of the people. That's right. And, and a lot of folks, you know, we, we marked uh, 15, 17 or 2017 as the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, but the Reformation wouldn't stick if it hadn't been for 1521 when Luther releases that, that uh, New Testament in the common language of the people. So at LBT, we're getting ready to celebrate 2021, the 500th anniversary of the scriptures. And, um, that, you know, that's, that's what makes it stick. If, that, if it's not for that, it never would have taken hold. Isn't that amazing how God works? You know, Luther's running yeah. for his life. He's abducted by his friends and yep. held captive in a, in a castle against his will. And he's bored. I think I'll translate the Bible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bored. I've been meaning to do this. That was his own COVID-19 project. I turn on the TV when I'm bored. Luther translates the Bible. <laughs> We've got just a minute left. Uh, once again, tell people about your website, how they can donate, how they can find out more about the work that you do and how they can be involved with what, what it is that you do. Sure. The website is www.lbt for Lutheran Bible Translators, lbt.org. A great way for congregations to get involved is to uh, talk to your pastor and church leadership about Bible Translation Sunday, which is the last Sunday of September. And we've got a lot of great resources on our website for that at lbt.org slash bts. For Bible Translation Sunday. BTS. BTS. Yep. If you we're we're going to have to do that. You could. If you yeah. act fast, maybe you can book Rich or something. That's <laughs> He'll be snatched up real, <laughs> real quick. Right. Well, we're pretty much out of time. Thanks so much for being with us, Rich. It's been great. Thank you. Great Thank to be you. with you. Thank you to Craig D'Onofrio and Troy Newyear and the crew at 1517.org for having me on the For You radio program to dig a little deeper on the purpose and sustainability of mission, the growth of the church, and the role of Bible translation. As I mentioned in the program, if you'd like to access materials for your congregation or small group to participate in Bible Translation Sunday, the last Sunday of September, or whenever works for your congregation, please visit lbt.org and click on the Bible Translation Sunday link. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. Look for past episodes of the podcast and leave feedback at lbt.org podcast or subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you go to those other platforms to subscribe, please leave us a good rating so that others can also find the podcast. Follow Lutheran Bible Translator's social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast is edited and produced by Andrew Olson and distributed by Sarah Lyons. Executive producer is Amy Gertz. Podcast artwork designed by Caleb Rodewald. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Rodowski. So long for now. <laughs>